You are listening to Kilometer Zero by the Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Wednesday, May the 19th, 2021. Stage 11 of the Giro d'Italia from Perugia to Montalcino. Strada Bianca Day. The stage is 163 kilometres, not far short of the one-day classic in early March that features the white dust roads of Tuscany and which has become one of the most eagerly awaited days on the calendar. The Giro's version of our homage to Strada Bianca includes 35.2 kilometres on dirt roads and it's all packed into the second half of the stage, the first section coming with 70 kilometres remaining, the toughest on the Paso del Lume Spento, a climb that tops out at 40 kilometres to go. The last time the Giro went to Montalcino in 2010, there was a similar stage over white dirt roads or brown dirt roads because on that occasion they were turned to sludge by torrential rain. It was one of the toughest and most dramatic stages in years, won by Cadell Evans. Now, with Strada Bianca's reputation and status growing every year, a stage of the Giro over the dirt roads inevitably invokes the early spring classic. And especially this year, with the 2021 edition of Strada Bianca, a race that we are likely to be talking about for years. It's an extraordinary constellation of stars in the front group. The three Galacticos, Mathieu van der Poel, Wout van Aert and the world champion Julian Alaphilippe, whose attack on Monte Santa Maria with 50 kilometers to go, caused the split. Juniette's in third world. Here goes the world champion, Julian Alaphilippe, with kilometer after kilometer still to go on Monte <laughs> Santa Maria. Looks behind, surveys the damage. He's already done a bit. As well as the three Galacticos, there was one of the sport's brightest young stars, Tom Pidcock, and the last two Tour de France champions, Tade Pogacar and Egan Bernal. Briefly, there was also the young American Quinn Simmons, a former junior world champion, though a puncture saw him dropped, leaving only cycling royalty. Alaphilippe, Van der Poel, Van Aert, Pidcock, Bernal, Pogacar and Gogol. Who? Michael Gogol, the 27-year-old Austrian from Team Quebec Assos. Here's what we said about Gogol in the cycling podcast after the race. An amazing front group in that race of some of the real stars of the sport, Tour de France winners, Classics winners, and Michael Gogol, to steal a line from Rob Hatch. What did you make of it, Daniel? Well, Rich, it's funny, um, that theme you just mentioned of, of Gogol being the interloper, um, among the, the many sort of poetic pieces that were written, I suppose, all over Europe over the weekend, and one that really caught me, my eye was by uh, a friend of ours called Leo Piccione, who's part of the Bidon um, Cycling Writing Collective in Italy. And just a couple of paragraphs of uh, Leo's piece. Um, Where may the intrinsic merits of the race end and where may those of the brood of polyhedral thoroughbreds who have taken hold of professional cycling begin? The fact is that watching uh, Strade Bianche was the cycling equivalent of pointing a telescope in the direction of galaxies so far away that just looking at them is a journey into an ancient past that holds mystery and answers to the origins of everything. In the desolation of another edition stripped of the audience it deserved, Michael Gogol was our emissary, the only human being entitled to witness from a forearm's length away the decisive stages of a race that has already gone down in history. 
and in the results which future generations will pour over with the same wonder with which we now examine those of a Paris-Roubaix a century ago, there is and will still be him, the Austrian interloper, in sixth place. A couple of months after Strade Bianchi, on the eve of the Giro, I caught up with our emissary, the Austrian interloper, the only human being in that front group, to ask him about his coming-of-age performance, which in fact followed a top 10 in 2020, a result that transformed his thinking about a race that he'd previously been keen to avoid. Are you bored of talking about it yet? No, I mean, <laughs> it's a nice day to remember, actually, for yeah. myself as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm keen to talk about it, of course. I want to kind of go back to, to last year because it seems that the, the, the love affair with that race began then. Um, I read some comments from, from Lars, your, your DS, about, about that. You were, when they suggested to you to do it, I think you were quite reluctant, were you initially? Yes, uh, but that goes back to uh, the first time I did uh, that race. Um, I think it was in 2018, I think. And I have to say that um, I was preparing super, super hard for for that edition. And it was the rainy edition in, in the spring. And um, I was in great shape, actually. And um, yeah, coming into the first sector, I lost my handlebar and I had a really, really bad crash. And so... I was not a big fan in terms of the risk, especially because we were then last year just uh, coming out of the lockdown and uh, a period where you were training a lot. So I was thinking, okay, it is a nice race, definitely, and it would suit me. But at the same time, there is so much risk involved that in that special year, last year, I thought it's maybe better not to have it but Lars my DS as he said he convinced me and I think it was a good call <laughs> Gogol emerged a few years ago at the 2016 Vuelta when Alberto Contador praised him for his work on his behalf they were riding for Tinkoff but Gogol followed Contador to Trek Segafredo and then joined NTT last year he's a strong all-rounder who has perhaps at least until now not really carved out a niche for himself but maybe that explains his performance at Strada Bianchi as the composition of the league group demonstrated, it's a race that suits a wide array of talents. What kind of rider would he say he is? Well, I would definitely not see myself as a Grand Tour rider. Um, I was at uh, Alberto's side mostly for uh, risky finals, let's say, or transition days, not because I'm a really good climber. I think my ability is more in like uh, the punchy stuff, like those punchy hills in Strade or, you know, other classic uh, style races. Um, yeah, we saw it this year that uh, guys like uh, Pogacar and Bernal, who are normally yeah, really good climbers, they are also up there. And then you have uh, the world-class uh, riders like uh, Van Aert and Van der Poel, of course, who were up there. So I think it, it suits a, a broader spectrum of riders. And yeah, that's definitely an interesting mix for that race. So... Last year, it was on an unusual edition as well, because obviously in August and it was very, very hot. Run me through how that race went. You ended up ninth on the day, but how, how did the race go and how different was it to 2018? 2018 was just uh, basically a 
for me was a race of survival after that crash and uh, I continued racing just because I was so prepared for it and um, I finished out of time limit uh, that edition um, and I got yeah, super sick and a, uh, a wound inflammation afterwards so it got me two weeks off the bike uh, that race. The edition last year was like the total opposite from the weather conditions. What uh, gave me a small advantage last year was that we were we had a training camp in Luca um, before before the race, and we were training in really hot conditions already. And I saw that many guys were struggling last year just because of the heat, and I think that was a factor um, that I could cope well uh, with last mm. year, which was basically actually really a survival race. How did you find the the roads? You know, how did, was that a bit of an eye opener for you that you realised that you could actually you know ride pretty well on them? Um, yeah, I think even uh, last year in 2020, it was the parkour was trickier because the gravel was more loose. There was one situation where I, I really realised that I that I'm quite uh, good on the gravel also when it's uh, technical because I had to swap bikes with uh, my teammate Roman uh, Kreuziger I had a flat tire and he gave me his bike and I had to chase back just when the race got opened up and I had to do a gravel uh, downhill and I overtook so many riders um, but to me it didn't feel like really risky I just could go that fast I don't know if just uh, don't see the risk or <laughs> I may, I'm willing to take it but I think I'm, I'm quite fast in those sections and did you enjoy it? I mean, was that? Do you enjoy gravel riding anyway? Do you do you enjoy um, those kind of challenges? Well, definitely. I think um, my natural character is just like, uh, yeah, I like those fighting, uh, adventurous days uh, where, yeah, where you really have to have a hard head also to 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 be in front. And um, for me, it's just epic you know just uh, to be at the start of a race like that so i really get motivation um, yeah maybe that gives me an extra advantage just because i'm not scared or or, or whatever you want to call it and, and finishing ninth there last year obviously planted a seed for you because i read on on instagram you you put a post after the the recon ride this year and um, there was not a single day that i wasn't thinking about strada bianca in my winter preparation so yeah. it was obviously that ninth place there, and I guess the, the experience of, of enjoying it and, and realising you were good at it, did that really, um, as I say, plant a seed? Did it really make you think this is a race I should target next year? Definitely. So uh, when the season was finished last year um, and uh, the team was was then fixed for, for this season, um, I was uh, I sat together with my coach and my sport director and we made a plan for the season, and uh, the first thing I said is that <laughs> Strade Bianchi is going to be my first target. And um, yeah, as I said in the post, there was not a day where I didn't think about it. It just gave me so much motivation. Uh, also, yeah, looking forward to the race uh, during those winter miles was just a nice uh, motivation. And uh, yeah, is there anything you can do also in your winter training to? prepare specifically for that race you know is there any did you do any any gravel riding i mean i know the roads aren't the same everywhere as they are in in tuscany but you know is there anything you can do to incorporate some of the, the skills that you need maybe there would be but i didn't do any hmm. anything uh, such 
So it was just something that you were sort of dreaming about while training. Yeah, exactly. I, I was uh, a lot in Tenerife uh, this winter, first uh, in December with my girlfriend, um, because yeah, she's a runner, yeah. and um, we were there with her training group in December, and then in January I was with uh, Simon Clark already in altitude, and yeah, during those uh, many hours uh, on the bike, I I was yeah, dreaming of the race, of course. And when you were dreaming about it, what were you imagining? You know, what what. I mean, obviously, you did put in a, a great performance and result, but what in your dreams was was possible for you? Well, uh, <laughs> that always depends on your uh, competitors, but um, yeah, of course, I was I was dreaming of a, a top performance and uh, a top result. I was maybe dreaming of the podium, um, and uh, that is uh, for sure a, a goal I have in mind for the next season. You obviously have found a niche here, and there, there are certain other riders as well who've who've ridden really well in this race. Um, you said it's a kind of, you know, a, a very broad spectrum of talents in that front group. But what what are the characteristics that you need to do well on this race? You know, how does the the how do this the Strada Bianca compare to say the Pave of Paris Bay or the the cobbles of Flanders? I think the also the, the endurance of the riders maybe because yeah in in, in Flanders and uh, Roubaix you still have heavier riders and um, in yeah in uh, in Strada you it, it's just different I think it's it's so much more altitude meters um, but what you need to have for sure is, uh, is is just the technical skills yeah the the power on the on the punchy climbs but also the endurance because yeah the the longest sector is uh monte santa maria it's called and it's uh 12 kilometers and this is where the race uh, normally opens up completely and uh, that sector is just hell you know like the whole sector i was on the com- i was on the full limit and you just have to get through and this is where i got dropped in 2020 and I actually had it in mind uh, also this season, uh, also this edition, because I was also s- so on the limit uh, this year. And I just thought, well, I need to get after this point where I dropped last year. And uh, when I managed it, I was just crossing fingers to not have a puncture or any other problem. And then I knew that, yeah, that, that you're in the game. And uh, I'm just happy that it worked out. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight, and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Kilometer Zero by The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Super Sapiens sponsors Kilometer Zero and as part of their sponsorship we've been hearing from some of the riders on Team Novo Nordisk, all of whom are type 1 diabetics. David Lozano has been with the team since 2013 and is the joint longest serving rider along with Andrea Perron who we've heard from earlier in this series. Lozano's diagnosis as a type 1 diabetic was dramatic and came when he was in the Spanish national cyclocross squad and had just signed his first pro contract. I was diagnosed on 3rd of uh, December in 2011. It was the day before a World Cup of cyclocross. So I was selected with the, with the national team to go and race there. And then 
I was feeling pretty tired that week. Even like I had uh, a lot of, I was peeing a lot. I was feeling really tired. I dropped a lot of weight. And that morning I went out for training with my, with one of my best friends and my right eye was blind. I couldn't see anything. And I was hitting the trees with the cyclocross bike. And then as soon, as soon as I got back home, I had a, a shower and we went to the hospital. And yeah, I got the news that I was a type 1 diabetic. I signed my pro contract two weeks before that. And one week after that, uh, my contract was broken. So yeah, it was quite quite tough at that moment. But now I can say it's a good experience of life. No? At that moment, it was really dark. Like... Uh, I was tired of cycling and everything because, like, you, you find out, like, you're a number, no? Like, uh, you're in the team. If you give uh, good uh, results, you are you are not uh, valuable if you are a, per- a good person, you know? And it was, it was tough for my head at the start. We'll hear more from David later on in our Kilometre Zero series from the Giro. In the meantime, to find out more about the Super Sapiens Continuous Glucose Monitoring System go to supersapiens.com. Signs absolutely brilliant for the Ineos Grenadiers, as you said, but also for any bike racing fan who maybe has tuned in a little late today and is suddenly having a look at this. This is the group that I think most will have been dreaming about when they went to bed last night. 47 kilometers remaining. We're on the longest and hardest sector of this brilliant Strade Bianche course around Tuscany. It's a lovely sunny day. The dust is kicking up in the background. And this is what cycling dreams are made of. Wad van Aert, Mathieu van der Poel, Julien Alaphilippe, a couple of Tour de France winners, young Tom Pitcock. For the Americans, you have Simmons as well. This is a wonderful, wonderful spectacle. And it's open. When Gogol looked around and saw the company he was in, what did he think? Well, that is actually uh, a funny question because in that moment of the race, I, I really didn't think about anything such as um, with what uh, riders am I here now. I was just focused on the race and focused on, on, on getting a, a result. And I never lost the focus on, on, on the bike race. And um, yeah, that, that is actually what I thought until the other finish line. And only afterwards, when I went to my telephone, I got so many messages about my performance. But during the race, I was just focused on the race. Yeah, I get, I mean, for all of us watching, you know, looking at that group and seeing the world champion, you know, Van Aert, Van Der Poel, and then the last two Tour de France champions in that group. It was a sort of concentration of talent in one race that we've never really seen before, but that didn't even didn't even enter your thoughts at all. Uh, no, not in that moment, but only afterwards. And uh, I have to say that it gave me a little smile also when when I, I rewatched the race myself and I was like, okay, I, I really get why people are... Uh, excited of seeing me there uh, because yeah it was special definitely and I guess you know you were six and you, you said you'd love to be on the podium but being in that company and and surviving so long in the race in that company and then finishing among among those riders does that make that result more special you know because it's not you're not just sort of uh, among uh, average riders there you're among some superstars so does that is that sixth place worth even more as a result of that well, um, I, I, I guess, I guess, in a way, yes. It's, it's of course, 
um, the race was, I think, with one of the world classiest fields um, you can imagine. So finishing up there in the front, I think, um, is is definitely different than finishing in the front in a in a less qualified race, let's say. But in the moment, I guess when you know the the race was still there in front of you to be won. Um, you know, how did how did it unfold? I mean, when you were in that group, did you feel that you were on a really good day and that you had as good a chance as anybody else? You know, how, what happened then? There was a moment when uh, when uh, Alaphilippe uh, was accelerating one more time and uh, Fanat and I think Pitcock uh, got dropped. In that moment, I was feeling really good. And then I was thinking, wow, what, what is possible for me here today? But then, yeah, on that uh, steep gravel section... Um, where Vanderpol attacked, I was I was really uh, amazed by by how strong he was uh, in that section. Pogacar is losing the wheel at the back. Also, Tom Pitt oh. just starts to blow, and here goes Mathieu Vanderpol. Lift off of Vanderpol, and Anna Philippe is the man who's trying to follow. Mathieu Vanderpol with an explosion on the Torfe, and he is gaining meters by the pedal stroke. I, I just thought, wow. I think one one mistake I did, but yeah, this is something I know in the future that I was on the wrong side in that uh, gravel section because I was more in the loose gravel when the attack from uh, Mathieu happened, and I I had to go past uh, Fanat, and afterwards uh, I couldn't. Uh, yeah, I think maybe if I was on the right side in that moment, maybe I could hold on to Bernal somehow but um, yeah this is uh, something I take out for the next year what when you watched it back um were you able to watch it in a detached way at all because for a lot of people watching it was it was a hugely enjoyable uh, race to watch um you know some of the performances were amazing it was it was great to watch were were you able to enjoy it or were you just again reliving it um through through watching your own performance I, I think I I was definitely watching it a little bit more with an analyzing eye, let's say, uh, for myself. But um, yeah, of course, uh, I was also enjoying it. Uh, yeah, to to rewatch uh, when you're on a good day is always it's always nice, let's say. And you must have, um, you know, to 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 have ridden like that, taken it must have done a lot for your for your confidence for the rest of the season. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, it shows what I can do when when I'm on a really good day. And um, yeah, the, the the last races now uh, in the spring have not uh, been as I was hoping for, for different reasons. I had a, a small cold, for instance, um, during some of the Belgian races. But um, it it is just giving me motivation to to keep on working as I do now and um, and and uh, search. Uh, for for a day like that again. Gogol's performance at Strade Bianchi fitted a pattern of strong performances from Quebec Assos, a team back from near death and apparently rejuvenated in 2021. An episode of Kilometre Zero at last year's Giro, NTT SOS, was our lament for the African team. It really looked as though their days were numbered. But at the 11th hour, Douglas Ryder, the team principal, announced that the team had been saved and would be known as Quebec Assos this year. How did the uncertainty affect Gogol? So I, I was, uh, or uh, I think everybody from our team was in a in a bad situation because when 
when uh, we got informed that the team is not uh, going to happen um, or I mean that the team is in trouble uh, we were not informed that it's not going to happen but that we don't have a sponsor yet I think that put everyone from us in a in a pretty bad situation because yeah all the other teams also know that um, you 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 are on the market and uh, you are actually yeah uh, take it or in a, in a take it or leave it situation let's say and um, I was really hoping till the last moment that uh, the team is going to happen. Um, I did have uh, another option also um, in the World Tour. And um, yeah, it was really the last moment uh, to, yeah, that this team continues. And I was in the end really happy to, to continue my journey uh, with, with Quebec Asos. Do you think that that you know that that kind of good news that everybody got sort of unexpectedly at the end of the year has has actually helped you in a way this year as a team because it, it it's a team that that maybe struggled to get results the last couple of years but really this year has looked almost like a a different team. I think um, it is it is a matter of different facts. I think uh, also we we might not have the biggest budget of uh, all world tour teams um i think that's not a secret but i definitely think that we work in a really really professional way um i think everybody of the team is trying to get uh, the best out of himself um for the better of the team no matter if it's uh the um uh, the coaches, the sport directors, the managements, the swanners, the mechanics, I think everybody's just motivated. And um, we we had a, a good training camp uh, in January and everybody's motivated. And um, I think that definitely uh, makes, makes a, a good ambience um, to perform well. With this year's Giro visiting the white dirt roads, was Goggle not tempted to return to Italy to target stage 11, the Strada Bianchi stage? Uh, it was never really on on the on the paper, let's say. I also didn't really know about it until uh, you told me that. <laughs> but um, I guess with uh, the spring races that I did until now, um, it is quite hard to... to uh, be also in really good shape than at the Giro. I think this is something to manage. Uh, you already have to plan on that in the winter, I think. Well, so you could be able to watch it on TV and enjoy it, maybe, the spectacle. Yeah. Or maybe even be jealous of not riding. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, now, are you already thinking about next March and, and another go at Strada Bianca? You know, ninth last year, sixth this year, surely the podium next year is uh, within range. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, first, first and foremost, I I, I want to uh, still ride really well this season, of course. But um, yeah, Strada Bianchi uh, 2022 will give me more motivation again in the winter months, I think. And um, yeah, as you said, the podium is within reach, so that's a great goal to have. Another of your Instagram posts after the race, baller day in the office, you, you wrote on Instagram, happy about my performance. I mean, those other riders that you were in the break with, have you, have you you know, as I say, it was a special race and a, a special breakaway and I think a race people will be talking about for, for many years. Um, 
do you share a, a, a is there a sort of bond between you uh, in races have there you know, in races since then have you managed to do you share a kind of uh, comment or anything with on any of those riders yeah definitely i've been uh, talking to many uh, many of them after the race and uh, also in Tirreno, for instance, and uh, it was really, really cool from um, from those guys because yeah, they they all uh, were in a way happy for me that I could uh, make this performance, which was uh, actually great. And um, yeah, was 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 were some nice gestures uh, from those riders uh, towards me as well. That was cool. You've been listening to an episode of Kilometre Zero by the Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. The commentary clips featuring Rob Hatch and Dan Lloyd, and which did justice to a great day's racing at Strada Bianchi, are from Eurosport. Thanks very much to them. The music is by 13 Senses, and this episode was produced by Will Jones. O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.